together. I love worshiping Jesus with you. And uh, if you want to, you can grab your notes out of your handout. Uh, as I begin today, I just want to confess that I love going to the movies. Or at least I, I used to love going to the movies until I had kids. Uh, and then it got a little more expensive and a little maybe sometimes less enjoyable, right? The, the $94 at the snack bar kind of an experience, not my favorite. Uh, the intense debate in the car about what movie we should see and what movie we cannot see. Uh, that, uh, not quite as enjoyable. And then, of course, you know, the only time I go without my kids, late night, and I inevitably fall asleep in the middle of the theater. So, uh, it, it, But I just wanted you to know that I love a great, compelling story. I, I, I love especially w watching a movie that I have no idea how it's going to work out. I have no idea how the plot will progress, how, how things will reach some kind of, a, you know, wrapping up. I just, I, I love when I cannot predict who done it or, or what's going to happen. And, and it, it's just interesting. When, especially when the protagonist has all kinds of trial and insurmountable odds stacked up against them. And, and I do want you to know this, that, that there, there can be really no great movie or no great story without some kind of a conflict, without the odds being stacked against them. And, and occasionally there are movies that come out like that, and I want to tell you that those are the ones that I'm not on the edge of my seat about. When it just the, the, the hero just kind of wanders through from victory to victory, it's, it's not that exciting. I don't, I don't feel the feelings. I don't, I don't have the, the buy-in because in life, in reality, we do face trial and we do have conflict and we do have to push through. And, and so I like, I like stories like that. And it's one of the reasons why I like the Old Testament and why it's so good to, to jump into the Old Testament and, and study the lies, study the way in which God worked in people's lives in the Old Testament. And it's what I love about the story of Joseph. So that's where we're going to go. That's what we're jumping into. Uh, Joseph has all of the, the story of his life, all of the massive storytelling techniques of, of great movies, uh, great books. It, it, it has conflict. It has this idea of insurmountable odds. How in the world is this going to resolve itself? And, and so I love studying the life of Joseph. I also want you to know that, that what's so compelling to me is that as we study the life of Joseph, as we, as we study this incredibly rich story, you need to realize that even though it happened about 4,000 years ago, historically, it's still incredibly relevant to our lives today. So I'm very, very excited about jumping into this series and, and traveling with you, Overlake. Uh, I would love to have you join us and read through your own Bible as we study this story. It starts in Genesis 37. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open those up. Genesis chapter 37. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you today, I did put all the scripture on your notes. It'll be on the screen as well. But let's just jump right in. And in Genesis 37, 2, it says... This is the account of Jacob and his family. This is the account of Jacob and his family. If, you're, if your Bibles are open, many of your translations say this is the account of Israel and his family. You need to know that Israel is Jacob. Jacob is Israel. They are, uh, they're the same person. Jacob was the name that he was given at his birth. Israel was the name God gave him after an all-night wrestling match, uh, after which Jacob walked with a limp forever after. 
And what's interesting is this name Israel, like all other Hebrew names, has a meaning behind it. But the meaning in this case is slightly unclear. So there are a couple of different views scholars have taken. Uh, The first meaning of the name Israel is one who wrestles with God. And what's interesting about this idea of one who wrestles with God is because it's certainly true of Jacob. He wrestles with God, therefore he has the name Israel, one who wrestles with God. But it's also true of the nation of Israel. And it's true of the history of the nation of Israel, in ancient Israel, and in many cases Israel today. And friends, it's also true of you and of me. That, that we have this name because we are the, those people. We, we're the ones who wrestle with God from time to time. So just a real quick tangential point. You might want to write this down. Less wrestling, more submitting. Right? That's, that's good for us, right? Um, so one who wrestles with God. But that's not the only meaning of the name Israel. The other meaning of the name Israel is God fights. God fights. And, and it's true of Jacob because God fights for Jacob. And you see this happen again and again in the story of Jacob. You see it happen in the story of Joseph. You see it happen in the story of the nation of Israel, that God shows up and that God fights for Israel and that God is for Israel. And you've seen it in your life, haven't you? That God fights for you and that God is for you and that, that God blesses you. And, he, and he's the one who is fighting the battles out in front of us. And so anyway, th- those are the names of uh, of Israel, those are the meanings, and, and the one thing that I would say about God fighting for you, about God fighting for Jacob, is just this, that he doesn't fight for Jacob because Jacob is such a great person in and of himself. No, no, it, it says more about who God is than it says about who he's fighting for. You see, God chose to love Jacob. God chose to bless Jacob. God chooses to fight for Jacob because God is good. Because God is wonderful, because God's heart is great, and that's true for you. And and, and the thing is about Jacob, if you know the story of the life of Jacob, he's a bit of a swindler. He's a little bit of a scoundrel, right? He's he's like the the biggest scoundrel in the Bible until he meets his father-in-law, who's a bigger scoundrel. But but there's there's this incredible sense that God still loves him, and God still chooses him, and still fights for him. And I found this quote from Eugene Peterson, and I found it incredibly refreshing. It says this, God doesn't pick out the best and most promising people to make up the body of Christ. He picks scoundrels, which for me is great encouragement both as a pastor and a parishioner. So that's for free. That's Jacob, Jacob, also known as Israel. He's the father of, of our faith, right? He's one of the patriarchs of our faith, and, and we're going to talk to, about him throughout the course of this series. We're going to refer to him as Jacob, though, just to keep things really, really clear, keeping him separate from the nation of Israel. We'll talk about Jacob. But the story is not primarily about Jacob. It's primarily about his son, Joseph. So let's get in. Verse 2, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpha. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his, brother, his brothers were doing. So this is an account of Jacob and his family, and it's also a, an account of incredible dysfunction. And we're going to get into this uh, a little bit more, not only today, but in the weeks to come. But, but you need to realize that there's incredible dysfunction in this family system. 
I would just say for free, you probably already know this, but anytime there are multiple wives and concubines in a family dynamic, there's going to be all kinds of tension, like, hey, it's his turn to do the dishes, not mine, and, you know, stuff, no, no, it's going to be bad, right? There's going to be jealousy, and there's going to be infighting, and there's going to be all kinds of things going on, and so, um, on the one hand, this should be slightly comforting to you. Because you might look at your family system and you might look at the paradigm that you were born into or, or the home that you've been able to, to raise up and you might say, oh, it's, it's good, but it's, you know, there's dysfunction here. It's not, as, it's not as whole as I would want. Or I see some, some brokenness here. And if that's you, I just want you to understand that if you look in the scriptures 4,000 years ago, you see incredible dysfunction. And by comparison, your family's not that bad, okay? Like it's just not, it's not that bad. The other thing, and I, I never hear anybody talk like this, but it's just in case you ever do hear this ridiculous thought. Maybe somebody's saying, oh, you know what, we're over monogamy, or uh, monogamy's not that great, you know. And, and they might even say something like, you know what, polygamy, there's even polygamy in the Bible. You should always answer this question. Yeah, but have you read the Bible? Because it's never good in the Bible. Like, yes, it's in the Bible, but it's always in the Bible as a setting for all kinds of brokenness, all kinds of dysfunction. They're, they're, now, God can redeem all sorts of stuff, but it's never like, hey, look at this great polygamous family. No, it's like, oh, how broken is this? And look, even so, God can move, and that's all for free. Just so you know, we're not going into that, but that's, that, you just need to know that. So that's the dynamic that Joseph is born into. And the one thing that you see at the end of this, this last phrase is, he would give account sometimes to his father about what his half-brothers were doing. You know, the half-brothers would get jobs. The dad would say, hey, I need you to go, you know, shepherd this flock, right? Or I need you to go harvest this field. And the, the brothers would all go out, and then they would mess around. They would do whatever they wanted to. They'd wander, they'd play, they'd go swimming in the quarry. And Joseph would come back and say, hey, dad, this is what the brothers are doing, and that caused friction. That caused tension. Uh, again, we see this in normal sibling rivalry, but this is probably extended dysfunction sibling rivalry. The brothers are jealous, right? They're jealous of, of Joseph's relationship with his dad. There's bitterness growing here. Let's look at verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph... Oh, by the way, that's, that's kind of a bad thing, just so you know. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. That's not, that's not ideal. We don't love that, that part right there. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. All right, so... It's not ideal, this scenario. And it is interesting that Joseph's a bit pampered, that he is a favorite of his dad. And, and that's not great parenting, just so you know, that it's not good to have a bunch of kids but have a, an obvious favorite. And it's obvious, the reason why it's obvious, everyone knew that Jacob had a favorite. His favorite son was Joseph. Now, Joseph was not his youngest son, by the way. That was Benjamin. But for whatever reason, that Jacob had just locked on to Joseph as his favorite. And, and, and so just, you know, FYI for parenting, you need to realize that, that all of your kids should be your favorite, right? 
that the, the paradigm that you create in your own home should be that every single child that God has blessed you with, whether that's biologically or through adoption or however it is that your family is built, that that child should be your favorite in a unique and an individual way. In other words, you don't compare. It's not like this monolithic block, all kids are the same, and, and, and so I can only have one favorite. No, they're all unique and different, and so there are things about your relationship with each one individually, ways in which you interact in love that can be your absolute favorite. And that's the dynamic. The reason why I'm arguing that dynamic for your family is because that's how God builds his family. Every single child of God is his favorite uniquely and individually. And so that's what we need to go after, not just one. And, and so that's what Jacob had built. It wasn't great. It created some uh, additional dysfunction, and it, it, it built some, some horrific, hateful foundations of his family that are going to come to bear and actually destroy his own heart in this process. So, so it's, it's bad stuff here. Well, then he gives a gift, and he gives a gift to Joseph, and, and it's a special gift. Uh, some of the study that I've done around this, this robe that, that he had made for his son is it was a robe with long sleeves. It was, it was a long, ornate kind of a robe. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to us, maybe parents in, in today's culture, because, you know, we buy, you know, clothes for all of our kiddos, and maybe this month it's this, it's this son's turn, and next month it's this daughter's turn, and so we don't really think too much about if you gave a jacket to a kid, it, it suddenly is going to be this horrible, you know, explosion in your family. But in this day, the robe that he gave with the long sleeves, maybe a longer uh, length, is this. And again, this is some of the study I've done, so you know that I, I didn't just waste this week, you know, I, I studied. But robes uh, in the ancient world for farmhands, for shepherds, for those who did menial labor, they had short sleeves and they were short robes. Because if you're doing a lot of work, if you're moving around a lot, you've got to be able to make that happen. And so the, the robes were short. They weren't, you know, getting caught up in, in, in the, the work that you were doing. But those who wore long robes did not engage in menial labor. They supervised it. And so Jacob didn't give Joseph a jacket. He gave him a job. What, what dad did was say to this son, who was only 17 and used to working for his brothers, he said, here is this robe, now they work for you. And, and so you could see then how this would cause even additional bitterness to come up in, in the hearts of his brothers, right? That they already knew that he was his dad's favorite. They already knew that there was this position of special relationship. But now he's their boss in, in some ways, their supervisor. And so there's this additional anger and resentment that's building. Now, I do want to say this, and you might want to make a note of it somewhere. There was something about Joseph that, that made Jacob think this son is worthy of a position of power. There was something, there's some part of his character, there was some part of his integrity, maybe because he wasn't afraid to bring, bring a bad report from his brothers to his father that, oh, there's, there's this, he's trustworthy. 
And so I can, I can give him this responsibility and know that he's good for it. And the reason why you need to make a note of that is because it's going to come up in Joseph's life again and again and again. It's just who he is. Okay, that's, that's what's going on here. That's, that's what he receives. Okay, so now we're ready to turn the page. The stage is now set for a massive plot development. And here it is, verse 5. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. That's good news right there. Listen to this dream, he said. We're out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Okay, so we're only eight verses into this chapter, and we have seen some massive dysfunction in this family unit, right? We've seen some incredible tension between these brothers, and, and we've seen that there's this, ah, uh, this kind of, uh, it's, uh, I don't know what's going on here, right? But what's interesting up until this point is their bitterness and their jealousy towards Joseph had always been between father and son, right? They're mad because dad likes him best. They're mad because dad gives him the robe. They're mad because dad puts him in charge, right? It's all between Joseph and dad. But now this is a dream, and so it's really easy for them just to target on Joseph himself, right? Joseph's the one who's dreaming these dreams. Joseph's the one who's coming bragging about his dreams to us. And so now th th their anger is really intense. It's, it's absolutely inflamed. He just drives them crazy, right? That's, that's what you can sense going on right here. Now, all of that going on, you'd think that maybe Joseph himself would take a little hint from the dynamic in the family, right? Oh, I see that dinnertime conversation's really, really tense. I'm gonna take a step back, okay? So look at the next verse. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. There's a thing called emotional intelligence, <laughs> and Joseph doesn't have it, okay? Read the room, man. Like, just understand what's going on. They're bigger than you. They're older than you, right? Just, just hang out, chill for a while. But he doesn't do it, right? He just jumps right in. He wants to, and I don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. But maybe it's because he's 17 years old, and he thinks he's going to last forever. And he's just like, oh, I'm so excited. God wants me to reign. I love it, you know. Just can't wait to be king, whatever he's singing. But but he's excited about it, so he just shares regardless of all of the signals that he's getting from his family. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I <clears throat> and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Okay, a couple of things here. You can see the two dreams. The first one is rather pedestrian, isn't it? it it's like um, they're all in a field. They're all, you know, putting these sheaves of grain together. Joseph's sheave uh, stands up. All the others bow down. And so it seems to be communicating a message like, 
in the field, Joseph is the biggest deal in the field. And, you know, in, in terms of this ag- agricultural life you're living, Joseph is going to have the responsibility and, and the rule. And that's a, a, it's a cool thing, and it's a, it's a blessing kind of a thing, but it's, it has sort of limits and scope. But the next dream I want you to see is it, it's just so much larger, isn't it? It's like in the solar system now, Joseph is to be revered. In the universe, Joseph is a big deal. You're talking about the sun and moon and stars bowing down. It seems to be sort of exponentially larger than the first one in the field. And and here's what's interesting. It's a different kind of a dream, and they receive it differently. It's not just like the little brother saying, hey, I had a dream last night that I was swimming in chocolate, and then my third grade teacher turned into a T-Rex, and we played volleyball. Like, like, it's not like that, right? It's, It's not just this random dream that you just blow off. Oh, Joseph's just having dreams. No. The brothers, they got angry about it. It had weight and gravity. And, and his dad, he ponders it. And he wonders, what, wait, what does this mean? And Joseph, he's amazed and stirred by this dream. And, and, and so what you can see is that for every single person, regardless of the variety of response, for every single person, they all knew this was a dream from God. That this dream was communicating something very specifically and very clearly. And if you're filling in the blanks, they all believed that God has big plans for Joseph. They all believed it. It wasn't something they were going to write off. It was, they, 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 and they had different responses to it, but they knew, oh, this is what's being communicated. God has big plans for Joseph. And I I want you to think about that for a second because God does have big plans for Joseph and that's what we're going to go after. But you need to understand that it's not just Joseph that God has big plans for. That God has big plans for you and for me as well. That that this is the, the God that we serve and the God that we worship, the God we're in relationship with is a God who loves you uniquely. A God who knows you individually and a God who does have plans for your life. And the Bible tells us what kind of plans they are. And so I want you to read along with me here in Jeremiah 29, 11. These are the words of God. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. They're good plans. They're wonderful plans. They're, they're, they're plans for your own development, plans for your own influence. The, 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 the life that you live would impact the future, right? And there's incredible hope. There's goodness in the plans of the Lord for you. And, and you need to realize this, right? You need to wrestle with this reality that God loves you, knows you, and has plans for you. And they're awesome plans. They're good plans. But what sometimes we have to wrestle with and we have to do some battle with in our own hearts is they're not exactly, I'm not saying they're totally separate, but they're, they're not like big American dream plans. They're, they're not like big win the lottery kind of plans. And the reason why I have to say that is because so often the big American dream plans and the big win the lottery plans are very godless plans. They, they have nothing to do with our relationship with God. 
In other words, sometimes what they have to do is, is our power or our wealth or our influence or, or what we want to do, our desires, our pleasures, etc., etc. And, and we just think about it in terms of it's separate from our relationship with God, and God will never have plans for you that don't include him. So when, when I'm talking about God's big plans for you, I'm talking about God's big plans in relationship with him. And in relationship with him, the kinds of plans that God has for us might look like this. It might look like us understanding that raising our kids well is big to God. Or that loving your spouse well, it, that's big to God. Or that honorably providing for your family, that's big, big plans. Or sharing your, your hope in Jesus with a friend, that, that's a big plan to the Lord. Opening your home to a stranger. Being a good person, even when no one is watching. That's big plans from the Lord. You see, supporting ministry financially is big. Serving faithfully is big. And you might want to push back. You might, oh, time out, Pastor Mike. The reason why you're mentioning these things is so that you can include a person like me. Because I don't have big plans, and I know God doesn't have big plans. And so it's nice to know that you're including me in raising my kids as a big plan. Because that's really, you know, that's kind of what I got going on. Look, you are talking like the enemy of God talks. That is, the enemy of God wants to diminish every good thing that God has in store for us. And say, no, no, it's not about these things. It's about these other unobtainable things, things that have nothing to do with relationship with God. But I'm telling you, there is nothing bigger than investing your life and your love into a relationship with your child, developing them up in integrity, building their character. When you invest in, in, in a child, you're investing in the future. You're building the next generation. That's big. Don't ever think that it's not big. And friends, if you've ever waded in and, and you've become a mentor for Eastside Academy or, or you've begun to serve in our student ministries or, and, and, and you try to pour your life into a student who hasn't been invested in, a student who's dealt with neglect or abuse their whole life, instantly you'll see how big it is to build up a child in love to build up a child in the truth of the grace of Jesus Christ, covering their lives. It's big. And the same thing can be said about everything I've already mentioned, but, but just one more. Let me mention staying honorably loving and serving your spouse for the long haul. It's huge. Especially in our culture today, which says, oh, it's no big deal. If it's not working out, just end that thing. Get another partner. No, no, no problem. No big deal. No, 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 for you to stick with it, for you to stay true to the vows that you spoke, for you to honorably serve and to care for and to compassionately uh, to come alongside and to believe in your spouse and to support your spouse and, and, and to have dreams that you dream with your spouse as you think about what the family is that you're going to build, the home is that you're going to build, the future that you're going to build, and you do it together with the love of Christ you try to love your spouse like Christ loves the church, it's huge. It's huge. And especially when the culture says, no, it's not. No, it is. 
And so just understand that the plans that God has for you, they're big plans. They might look different than like how we might call big plans, American Dream, lottery winning plans, but they're big and they're valuable. And I would say this, they're eternal as well. And so we have to recognize that God has big plans for us, each and every one of us, not just a few, not just a favored son, but every single one of us. And if you're filling in the blanks, you need to write this down. You are hand-picked by God for divine purpose. You are hand-picked. It's not accidental. God has known you. God has loved you. He, he has you in mind for the plans that he has for your life. And it's not just for you. It's, it's for the influence that you'll have. It's for the impact you'll have on others as well. But God has big hands, plans for you that he has hand-picked you for. That's the reality. That's what we see in this dream on, on Joseph's life. Now, here's what I want to I, I say to you. This is the truth. God has plans for your life. How you respond to it, is, that's going to be between you and him. And I want you to see that in the story we've just read, there are three very distinct responses. The first response that we see to this reality that God has a plan for Joseph's life. The first is in Jacob. Jacob, his dad, he stands on the sidelines. Right? That's what Jacob does. His response is to stand on the sidelines. And it says that he, he wondered, he pondered, he considered, right? He just, he was silent as he processed what these dreams might actually mean for Jacob and the rest of the family. But he didn't enter in. He, he wasn't active. He, he wasn't kind of entering into discussion, conversation. How might this work itself out in your life, Joseph? He was passive and silent on the sidelines. And I do want to bring a challenge here because that's always the response that, that we can have, especially to our children, especially to our spouse, especially to people in our friendship circle, in our extended family circle, and even in our workplaces, that, that we are just silent and passive, and, and we do not enter in to what God's plans might be for them. And so if I could bring one challenge in this regard, it's the challenge to build somebody else up, that you would find a way to enter in and proactively call out the potential that you see in your children or in your spouse, in your work uh, colleagues, that, that you would be the first one to seize uh, the strengths that they have and, and to fan the potential that they have into flame. And it's just one thing to be able to sit back sort of at the end of the story and say, hey, I always knew that person would make it. I always knew that person had potential. I always thought that they were going to make big things happen. But it's another thing to enter into the story on the front end and say, I can see your potential. I know that God has great things in store for you. How can I build you up? How can I encourage you? How can I support you as you pursue God's plans for your life? Totally different story. And so that's what I'd encourage, that we would not be Jacob standing on the sideline, but we would enter in and we would speak potential. The second way that we see the response to these dreams, the, the reality of God's plan, is the brother's response. And the brothers stood in opposition of it. They directly came in opposition of it. 
And we're going to take a look at this more next week when I unpack more what they do. But you could just see that they were already, because of their dysfunction and because of the bitterness, because of the jealousy that they had against Joseph, they were tired of him being the favorite of dad. They were tired of him tattling on them to dad. They were tired of the special gift and the special privilege that Joseph had received, the responsibility that came with that. They're tired of all that. And now that God was getting into the scene, that God seemed to be giving his favor and his plans to Joseph. They're like, we got to cut this thing off. We gotta, this is going to be more and more and more unbearable. There's no way I'm bowing down to Joseph. Forget it. But we got to do something in opposition of this reality. Now, I do want you to know, obviously, you have to take a step because we're not in that position exactly. But my, my challenge for you, for me, is this, that that there are other people, maybe colleagues at work, who get promoted a lot quicker than we think they should. There might be siblings that we have that seem to enjoy a special favor with the universe or with God, that life seems to be pretty easy on them. We have to work really hard. It seems to go pretty easy for them. And what happens is we end up getting bitter. We end up holding jealousy. And we end up, even though we don't think like this, we don't want to be like this, we end up being like the brothers. And we, we end up holding on this, this sense of why do they get that gift? Why do they get that privilege? Why is it easy for them? And it's hard for me. And if that's where you are, I would just encourage you. One challenge is to release your bitterness. Release your bitterness. Release your jealousy. Release the comparison that you have of your life to someone else's. They don't have your life. You don't have theirs. We shouldn't be comparing and, and one of the mindsets that we get into that causes us to be bitter or causes us to have jealousy is that we somehow think that God has a very limited pool of blessing from which to pull. And we think that if God gives a blessing to this person, then that means that blessing is unavailable for him to give to us. It's not true. God has not now, nor will he ever operate from the mindset of scarcity. God is only an abundant God. Yeah, his pool of blessing has no bottom, right? So, so he can give out blessing, out blessing, and so instead of comparing your life to someone else's blessing that they've received, someone else's favor they've received, we need to learn to celebrate that and then seek the blessing that God has for us, right? Seek the this, this, this story, seek the favor that God has for us. We can celebrate one another. We should, and we need to be in that mindset, but then we need to step in to the blessing that he has uniquely for us, and this brings us to Joseph's response. Joseph's response is the best response. It's what I want to encourage all of us to, but you need to see that Joseph stood on God's promise, as a 17-year-old, what we see is we see Joseph believing the plans that God has for him. He doesn't know exactly what they look like. He doesn't know exactly how they're going to come to pass. But we see him step forward onto a firm foundation that God will fulfill the promises that he has made to me. And it changes everything about his life. As we get into this series, as we keep going through the story, you're going to see the only way Joseph could proceed, the way that Joseph proceeds, is if he had a very clear conviction that God will follow through with his promises. That is the only way 
that this 17-year-old could proceed with the things that he's going to face in the future. And so that's what I want to encourage for you as well, that you would build your life on the firm foundation that God will fulfill what God has promised, that his plans for you will come to pass. And you need to believe that no matter what's happening, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the trials are that you find yourself facing, no matter what the, the, how the storm rages outside, like, you know, or doesn't rage, depending on you know, what the weatherman says. But the, the idea is that we have got to, no matter what, no matter what we face, no matter what the trials are, what the circumstances are, no matter what the bank account is, no matter what the employment outlook is, no, no matter what is going on, we are firmly rooted on the fact that God will fulfill his plans for my life. Right? We have to stand there because when we are there, then the Bible says no weapon formed. Or no weapon shall be formed against you. That, that, that no, you, <laughs> sorry, I screwed that one up. <laughs> Let me just read it. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That's, that's what the scripture says. That there are going to be weapons formed against you, but they will not prosper because your foundation is firm in the fact that the Lord will fulfill his promises for you. Now, I want, to, I want to give you a verse from Isaiah, and this is the kind of verse I would love to have you memorize. I'd love to have it on your dashboard. I'd love to have it on your mirror that you get ready in front of every day because you need to be reminded of these words of God over your life. God says, I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. This is God's promise for you. You can stand on that promise. You can build your life on his promise. God has a beautiful, a unique, a wonderful plan for your life. And friends, it's big. Build your life on the fact that his plan will come to pass for you. Now, again, there's three ways to respond. You can respond like Jacob. Be on the sidelines. Don't do that. Step in and be active. You could respond like the brothers. You could be in opposition. No, God, I don't want your will. I want my will. I want my American dream. I want my lottery win. I, I don't want your plans for my life. Now, less wrestling, more submitting. Or number three, you could respond like Joseph. And you could step onto the firm foundation of God fulfilling his plan for you. A lot of places to stand. I want to encourage you to stand where Joseph stood. And so if I could risk being cheesy, I want you to stand right now. I want you to stand. And as you stand today, don't just shift your position. I want you to shift in your foundation. I want you to shift in the way in which theologically and spiritually you're going to live this week out. You're going to live this month out. You're going to live the rest of your journey out firm on the foundation that God will fulfill his plans for you. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Jesus, we do want to stand where Joseph stood. We do want to stand in that place where we are absolutely convinced that, that our great confidence, our deepest conviction is that you have said to us that you have plans for us, that they're good plans, that they're plans to prosper us, not to harm us, 
plans that are filled with hope, plans that impact the future, and we believe today that you will fulfill your plans for us. We know that you've made us. We trust that you will carry us, that you will sustain us no matter what we're going through, and that if we get in trouble, that you will rescue us. We know that you've said this, and so we choose to stand on your promises and your plan for us. We ask that you'd give us the courage to build others up, to speak into their potential. We ask that you'd give us the courage to release any bitterness we have or any jealousy of other people's gifts or other people's journeys. And God, we ask that you'd give us the, the true desire to seek your specific and unique will for us. We love you. We want to please you and honor you and glorify you with our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.